Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on our first deep dive podcast of the year covering um, a very topical name, uh, Steinhoff International, which is a South African retailer that recently fell into distress just before the holiday season. Uh, my name is Jen Judica, and joining me today is Kyle Owusu, who is our senior analyst based in New York covering emerging markets and Steinhoff specifically. So for today's podcast, we're going to be covering um, a tear sheet that we had put out last week, done by Kyle, and you can access that on our website. So I guess we can uh, go ahead and start. So um, Kyle, thanks for joining us today. Um, you know, can you kind of give the audience a kind of brief background on um, you know what the company does and you know how they how they got to where they are because it happened pretty pretty dramatically. Um. Yeah, sure, and uh, thank you for uh, for having me. So I guess to, to sort of walk through what the company does, um, Steinhoff is a uh, furniture, household goods, and general merchandise retailer. Uh, the company owns and operates roughly 43 different brands um, in the United States, the UK, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Australia, and South Africa. Um, it's fully integrated, meaning that uh, Steinhoff um, both sources and manufactures uh, the products that it ultimately uses uh, in making um, its, its bedding and, and some of its furniture goods. The company has a sourcing office in Asia, um, so needless to say, this is, this is a, a very large retailer spanning the globe. Um, some of its brands include Conferama, which is uh, France's second largest furniture retailer, um, Mattress Firm, which is the largest um, furniture or specialty mattress retailer in the U.S., and uh, Steinhoff UK, um, which owns uh, brands including Benson's and is the third largest furniture retailer in the United Kingdom. Um, so, you know, needless to say, it, it, it certainly caught the market by surprise when a company with, with this type of scale um, came out uh, on December 6th and, and essentially said that even though it had reported $3.1 billion of cash um, as of March 31, um, it would need to, to seek uh, roughly 2 billion euros of liquidity. Um, now, I think that in terms of the, the, the way the situation unraveled, there had been rumblings in, in the market, and, and uh, specifically from uh, short seller uh, Viceroy, that the, the company um, had been, had been uh, misstating its financials. Uh, but, you know, there were still a lot of uh, blue chip players, including the ECB itself, that uh, were involved uh, all across the capital structure. Um, and so when the company came out and announced on December 5th that it would need to seek liquidity and that it would have to restate um, its, its, its non-South African financial statements, the bonds, um, the, the 2025 bonds and the company's convertible notes uh, traded off very sharply. Um, the 2025, I think, traded off around, around 40 to 50 points. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's sort of how, how things unraveled. Uh, very, very sharply for a company that you know was um, seen by by some in the market certainly as as, as sort of sketchy and misstating their statements, but by others as, as just a very large, uh, safe, re integrated retailer um, enjoying uh, you know economies of scale. Definitely, and you know, given like the scale and the size of the company and the wide footprint, it's, I'm sure it's pretty difficult, um, you know, kind of piecing everything together. So. You know, 
for subscribers, as you've looked into the company, do you find that, um, I guess, just diving down, like operationally, what do you think the crux of the problem is? Do you think it's South African based or do you think it's kind of internationally or do you think it's just the entire thing? Um, how, how do you view that? Yeah, that's a good question, and I think that that's, that's something that, that a lot of investors and, and potential investors have been focusing on, uh, which is how do, how do we narrow down where the fraud is? Is this something where uh, fraud is pervasive across uh, all the various entities, or can we sort of narrow it down a bit? And, and so the company has come out um, originally and said it, it's one of the non-South African entities um, since then, the, the disclosure has become a bit more detailed, and, and so as of today, uh, we do have a pretty good sense um, that the if there is fraud, it's probably um, at the very least uh, located at, at one of the European entities. That seems to be what the company is sort of hinting towards. Uh, but again, it, it, this is still a, a fluid situation, so it remains to be seen what will be uncovered. But I think right now. Um, the the consensus is is that there is uh, if there is fraud it's it's isolated to to the European entity or the European or a European entity. Okay, so you know, despite the the massive itself and kind of where the bonds are now, it could very well be that you know the core uh, South African base could be perfectly perfectly okay as well. Yeah, and I think that that when the when there was a release um, a few weeks ago where the company sort of came out and and specifically said uh, we're going to have to restate at at a European entity, and I think you know initially um, the market um, sort of got nervous and then the bond sold off a bit, but you did see a bit of a recovery um, as 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 people began to digest the news, and I think part of the reason for that. Um, is exactly what you stated. Like there could, you could make the argument, or and, and I think some have made the argument that um, the, the South African business and uh, perhaps Mattress Firm and, and maybe the Australian business and some other um, pockets of value are relatively isolated from where the actual accounting irregularities are. Got it. Got it. No, that's a definitely helpful background. And um, you know, in terms of uh, just you know where the situation is right now. Has the company hired advisors? Have the lenders grouped up yet? Um, can you kind of give us an overview of that? Yeah, so the company itself, um, the parent company, um, is working with Linklaters, uh, Alex Partners, and Molis. Um, Steinhoff Africa uh, has, has, has hired First Brand Bank um, to explore uh, the refinancing of intercompany debt um, and the parent expects that as part of that refinancing, um, there will be there will be proceeds. Uh, the parent will be able to use to sort of get a um, to help out with liquidity. Um, Steinhoff Asia Pacific um, has uh, hired Minter Ellison and uh, Ferrier Hodgson, um, and then the convertible bondholders, a, a group of convertible bondholders, I should say, um, is working with um, Kirkland and Ellis uh, and Houlihan. Um, and then there is a group of nine uh, banks that are involved in the capital structure. They're working with Allen and Overy and FTI. Um, and actually, just this morning, we reported that um, Millbank uh, and Latham and Watkins are jockeying for an advisory role 
for the Steinhoff Europe um, 800 million euro bonds and the uh, 772 million Schulzheim bonds, um, and then Lazard, TJT Partners, and OneSquare Advisors are competing to advise those same holders on the financial end. So, you know, it's a whole slew uh, of, <laughs> of, of law firms and, and banks across the board, um, both involved and looking to be involved in the capital structure. So it looks like a massive advisory party. <laughs> um, so, okay. And then, you know, I guess now with with so many of the Steinhoff entities um, you know, hiring different advisors or anything, do you think there's going to be any um, kind of conflict between the entities or do you think it's more of just very local uh, specific hires? So, I mean, it seems like, uh, you know, interestingly, a lot of the, or some of the, um, different operating entities have been distancing themselves or signaling to the market that they're independent from the parent. Um, so you've seen uh, Mattress Firm, Tepcor Europe, um, and Steinhoff Africa, and I believe um, the Steinhoff Asian entities as well, in, in their various press releases, use um, language that is suggested that uh, they are independent from the parent and, and want to uh, hire uh, local counsel, for example, um, Steinhoff Asia Pacific is working with um, uh, uh, legal representatives and financial representatives that are local to, to that area. Um, Steinhoff Africa is working with First Rand Bank. Um, so I think with, with regards to um, you know, some of the operating entities, you're seeing them hire uh, counsel that, that's more familiar with the, the local jurisdiction. Um, one of the the advisors that's that's pitching the the Schulzheim bonds um, is One Square Advisors, um, and the Schulzheim bonds and the Europe AG bonds are both governed by German law, and One Square um, is is sort of known to be a German law expert. So you're seeing um, definitely some some local counsel and, and financial advisors get tapped, um, you know, because of the sort of the multi jurisdictional nature of, of uh, what's going on. Now, actually, um, you actually brought up something pretty interesting. Schuldstein bonds. Can you can you give us a little bit more of a background on what that is? Because that has actually come up as well in another pretty big European um, liquidation, which is Carillion, which filed um, for liquidation earlier this week. What what are those exactly? Yeah, so Schuldstein bonds are um, German bonds or, or bonds that that have that have become uh, somewhat popular. Um, in the German bond market, they're usually um, or typically they're sort of issued um, under under private issuance, and the the benefit or one benefit I suppose for the investor is uh, that you can you're able to um, structure the documents um, a little more to your liking. So typically speaking, they they tend to have uh, a bit more protection uh, for investors, and then for the company. Um, there's a benefit from from sort of issuing a, a note that requires a bit less uh, a bit less disclosure. Um, so yeah, as, as you sort of mentioned, I I, I think that they've they've been um, they're certainly topical in, in Carillion and uh, and uh, you know they're topical here as well. Um, and so yeah, the the governing law here for the Schuldschein, as I mentioned, is, is German. Um, and then typically with the Schuldschein bonds, uh, they're usually bilateral credit agreements. 
Um, and so there's there's individual cancellation rights. Um, so yeah, I think that I think that that's that's sort of an interesting dynamic there, where you have uh, where you have um, both Schuldschein bonds and um, so-called straight bonds that are issued uh, under one box. Um, you know whether or not those 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 bonds will be grouped together, as it seems like some are arguing they should be. Um, or whether or not, in a, in a restructuring event, um, the company will seek to separate those those bondholders. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting dynamic that's developing. And would those be um, kind of only uh, associated, I guess, with like the with Steinhoff German operations, or is is it kind of be like guaranteed by the rest of the capital structure, or I'm sorry, the rest of the operations? Yeah. So the way the the way the corporate structure is set up. Um, Steinhoff Europe AG, the issuer of the Schuldschein and the uh, the straight bonds, um, sits closest to the European operating companies. So the value from the European opcos uh, flows up um, to the Steinhoff Europe AG box, um, which which acts as the issuer of the Schuldscheins and the, the straight bonds. Um, and then they also benefit uh, from downstream guarantees um, from from the parent company. Uh, and so their value, as, as you pointed out, is, is largely dependent on um, the, the value of the, the European operating companies um, and, and those the, the, the brands that are underlying those companies. Got it. Got it. And I guess, you know, while we're on this topic, um, would you mind kind of taking a step back and giving an overview of what, what Steinhoff's capital structure is and, you know, where, um, you know, where the market seems to be focusing in terms of, um, you know, like high volume trading or volatility. Sure. So you have um, 2.7 billion euros, and this is as of December 14th. Um, it was highlighted in, in a presentation that Steinhoff released, uh, a lender presentation. But you've got 2.7 billion uh, euros outstanding of convertible bonds. Those were issued by Steinhoff Finance Holding. You have uh, 938 million of debt outstanding issued by Hemisphere International Properties, which is the company's um, propco. Um, and you know, some sources have pointed out that that propco reported roughly two billion euros of value of property value um, as of fiscal year 2016. Um, now, Steinhoff uh, Finance Holding owns um, Hemisphere International, and so you know, some people argue that. Uh, any value from Hemisphere should should sort of um, flow to Steinhoff Finance Holding. I have heard um, arguments otherwise, uh, so that's definitely an issue that people are looking into. But I think consensus is that um, you know value would flow from Hemisphere to Steinhoff Finance Holding. Uh, turning to Steinhoff Europe AG, which I mentioned issued the 2025 bond in the Schuldschein. There's 4.8 billion euros of debt. Um, Actually, 4.9 billion. I'm sorry if you include uh, the debt that's at the at the various Steinhoff Europe AG operating companies, um, and then you've got 936 uh, million euros outstanding at Steinhoff Africa Holdings. So now we're at sort of the the South African side of the business, um, and then 504 million euros of debt at Steinhoff Services, uh, which again is a South African entity. Um, there is uh, 164 million of debt issued by 
Unitrans Automotive, which is again a, a South African subsidiary, um, and then 382 million of uh, pre- redeemable preferred shares at an OPCO uh, called Ainsley Holdings uh, Limited. Um, and then there is one point, let's see. Sorry, then there's 169 million euro, of euros outstanding under a revolving credit facility um, at at the at mattress firm. Um, so on the U.S. side, um, and then recently uh, it's been announced, um, and this is sort of an interesting dynamic that's that, that's been ongoing with regards to the operating companies obtaining financing. But um, so first you had mattress firm. Um, which came out, I think it was around uh, Christmas, actually, so around December 22nd. But there was an announcement that they raised um, $225 million in the form of a senior secured ABL facility. Um, and then Pepcor Europe um, came out with a £180 million um, facility that's going to be used to support um, the, the Pepcor Europe um, business um, and then sort of Poundland and Benson's and, and Harvey's Beds as well in the U.K., um, and so, yeah, you have, I mean, you have, uh, in total, um, 10.7 billion of debt, um, as of December 14th, um, at, at, I think, you know, sort of, if you look at the, the, the corporate tree and split it up into your, your Europe subsidiaries, um, your South African subsidiaries, um, and then mattress firm. Um, I think those are those are largely the the pockets of value that people are looking at. Um, and then in addition, uh, you have um, the company's uh, holdings in in PSG um, and Cap Industrial. Um, so those are sort of non-core assets. Um, the company holds 43% um, of, of, of Cap holding stock and 16% of, of PSG capital. Um, so those are, those are also potential sources of value as well. Um, Steinhoff already sold um, 20.6 billion shares of, of PSG um, on December 14th. So that shows that the company is sort of committed to um, monetizing those assets if, if, if need be. Um, so yeah, I mean that's sort of, that's that's pretty much what the what the capital structure looks like. Okay, and I, and you know for those of you listening, if you guys kind of want a more visual walkthrough of this. It's also in Kyle's tear sheet as well, and also on our website. So feel free to access um, access that whenever. Um, and I guess Kyle, can you kind of give give us a walkthrough of? I mean, you've kind of given us a sense of where all the debt lies, um, effectively geographically. But now, what about like operations, um, like the revenue, and where where the strongest operations are? Um, if you don't mind walking us through that. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, in terms of the strongest operations, I think people um, have highlighted uh, both both Pepcor Europe um, and the the uh, Steinhoff, um, the the South African business. Um, I think that's where it looks like the company um, is going to look to 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 you know. Assuming that there is, that this isn't a liquidation scenario, I think that's where mm-hmm. um, the company is sort of looking to in terms of investing for growth. Um, you know, it it seems like Steinhoff, um, if you if you take them at their word uh, based on language and the prospectus uh, governing the Europe notes and 
some other filings that 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 the company certainly sees the the mattress business as a as a core business and will will continue to invest in in that business and you know um, I think that the goal um, for for Pepcor for Europe Pepcor um, Steinoff wants to be Europe's largest uh, discount variety business in five years um, and at the same time uh, plans to invest uh, it says that it needs 200 billion. Um, to invest in, in mattress firms to achieve its, its sort of long-term goals. So I'd say, I'd say uh, you know, in terms of the, the, the growth businesses, um, you're probably looking at, at Pepcor Europe, that, that discounting business, um, or discount retail business, rather, um, and as, w- as well as um, the Pepcor brand in, in South Africa, um, which is also a discount business. Um, and then in terms of uh, where, where the company um, sees sort of uh, growth as well, and where, where the company is looking to invest as well as their, their core mattress business. Um, in terms of sort of nine month ended uh, June 2017 results, um, I mean, if you look at, uh, for example, um, the the European general mar- merchandise business, um, which includes the Europe Pep Core, you know, they reported like for like sales growth of, of over 20%. Um, of which, you know, like, like for like sales at Pep and Co were 16.8%. Um, in Africa, they reported that organic revenue grew 22% year on year, um, with general merchandise like for likes increasing by 7.4%. Um, and so if you, you know, if you look at those numbers and then compare that, um, to a business, uh, like Conferama in France, where the company has said, said that, um, you know, where, where, or sorry, if you compare that to, um, for example, the, the European retail management where, where like for like sales were flat, um, I think you can see sort of a, um, a bit of a, a dichotomy in terms of which businesses are, are growing, um, or seem to be growing, which businesses are, you know, sort of more stable or, or, or struggling. Got it. Now, um, you know, of course, we walking through all those financials, um, but then there is this whole issue of uh, the fraud and the potential misstatements, um, you know, based on people who you've spoken to in your own assessment of the situation. Uh, do you have a sense at all where, you know, where these restatements could come out? Is it, do you think it's like an overstatement of revenue or not understatement of debt? Um, where where are people kind of speculating on it right now? That's a good question. I mean, I think that um, you know certainly the the viceroy piece pointed out um, that the 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 company uh, has essentially uh, made a loan um, to an off balance sheet entity to fund the purchase uh, of, of certain trademarks um, and didn't mm-hmm. disclose that. Uh, there have also been sort of, um, you know, people scratching their heads as to how um, a retailer uh, like Steinoff can achieve um, the margins, uh, the EBITDA margins, EBIT margins, um, which are, you know, sort of roughly in double digits uh, that it has achieved and whether or not there's been some, some sort of wrongdoing in terms of the way um, the company records uh, its cost of sales. Um, there's also been 
um, speculation, both by Viceroy and, and and I mean this is this is noticeable um, that the company um, has been stretching its suppliers now. Whether or not that is um, a result of the fact that that Steinhoff does have significant scale and perhaps can negotiate better terms with its suppliers, or um, there is some sort of wrongdoing going on, it, I think that remains to be seen. But you know, those are a few areas where where I, I've heard speculation. Um, but to be honest, I think that if you're uh, aside from those that are sort of involved at an, at an insider level, I think at this point it's really um, it's really anyone's guess. Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like it's uh, you know pretty uh, pretty complex and opaque at the moment. Um, and uh, you know, when are we when can we expect to see the uh, the restatements and the kind of more clarification to come out? Um, that is a good question. You know, I think that um, it's tough. They 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 haven't really given much in terms of of of, of a deadline and and um, you know when we can see the restatements. Um, you know, I've I've heard sort of people speculating six months to a year, or with at least within six months to a year, we should have a bit more clarity on on what the company's liquidity needs are. Um, and 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 what the restatements look like, um, but I think though that that's sort of the the, the goal right now, um, or the or the main goals right now is is a you know work on those restatements and sort of get that forensic analysis in line, um, and be uh, you know source and 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 preserve uh, liquidity. So I think that those are those are sort of the big ticket items that that will have to be ticked off in, in say the next six to twelve months. Yeah, yeah, and like, what? Um, I guess to the extent that you know, I'm sure it's it's pretty um, pretty difficult to tell right now. But what is the company's current liquidity situation? And you know, really, like, will they have enough to kind of withstand this period of um, you know speculation and unknown and you know, and to, like how much funding will they need? I think it's very difficult to tell right now. I mean, I've seen. Um, some news reports, uh, Reuters on, on January 10th said that, um, you know, citing, citing sources, said that Steinhoff conceded that uh, it had a 550 million euro funding gap. Um, I do think that 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 given given some of the the, the large funds that are involved, um, you know, I think that the company uh, could raise financing from from existing creditors. I think that there mm-hmm. could be um, cre- there could be large funds on the sidelines um, that 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 could look to get involved, depending on what the terms are. Um, I think that we first will have to see um, a bit more clarity, at least on at least on what you know what the liquidity needs are and where what cash is. And, Sort of what the what the what the at least a, a 12 month budget um, looks like, um, but I would not be surprised if, if there was some some sort of uh, financing deal put together um, either with with existing creditors or or outside creditors. Um, I think that on on the flip side, um, what could certainly uh, from a liquidity standpoint, um, you know, trip trip up the company and catch everyone by surprise and. Um, and I think that this is why the the opcos have been proactive in seeking funding is you know if, if suppliers um, start to get nervous and, and suppliers start to sort of pull trade credit insurance and require Steinhoff to purchase 
um, you know, goods for resale with, uh, with cash up front, um, that would certainly be uh, a trigger that could lead ultimately to an in-core restructuring. Got it, got it. And I think this is um, you know, a pretty good segue into talking about um, you know, the restructuring process. I, again, given Steinhoff's massive geographical footprint, um, do you see any jurisdictional issues that could come up in, if this went into you know, in, an in-court restructuring? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I, I would say I see um, any issues per se in terms of sort of conflicts, although, you know, I think that, that there probably are conflicts. I'm not, not, certainly not an expert in that in that regard by any means, but I do think, um, or I, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if, if it did sort of go down the road of a restructuring um, in court, it wouldn't surprise me um, if the... The company um, and its advisors uh, were giving thought to uh, perhaps filing in multiple jurisdictions. Um, so, I, I, for example, I could see um, sort of the, the drawing up a, a plan uh, under Dutch law, given that there's not the parent co Steinoff International BV um, is, is a Dutch entity, while at the same time uh, filing for Chapter 15 in the U.S. Um, to afford to, to take advantage of some of the protections um, for, for for mattress firm, um, if, if if there is some sort of concern that you know there there is a need for an automatic stay there, um, you know you could see uh, certainly um, a restructuring under German law. So I, I think that there that because there are um, so many different jurisdictions involved, um, you could certainly see. Uh, a multi-jurisdictional proceeding where the company draws up a plan um, under one sort of jurisdiction um, and then files for uh, protection um, to take advantage of whatever version of uh, the, United, the Chapter 11 automatic stay uh, exists uh, under the various uh, separate jurisdictions governing some of the other boxes. Got it. And then... Yeah, I know you covered um, EdCon as well, so that's like another South African retailer. Do you think there could be any similarities we could draw um, from their processing in South Africa to Steinhoff, or do you think they're just two completely, completely different situations in and of um, themselves? I think I think what the the EdCon process shows um, is that you know there is potential under um, South African law to to effectuate a restructuring. Um, uh, out of court, um, a consensual sort of process, and and have the the South African courts bless that plan. Um, you know whether or not the company goes down that line, I'm not sure. I think that there's also um, some potential, and and it, it, you know, I go back and forth on this, but but part of me thinks that um, with the, with with the other with some of the operating entities, like I mentioned, the South African, the U.S., the Australian, um, and Pepcor Europe coming out and really strongly talking about their independence, um, I think you could see a situation where perhaps um, the company, uh, you know, ring fences certain entities um, to send a very strong statement to the market that, look, the, the, there, there's, there are no problems uh, operationally or structurally at, at these specific entities. The problem really exists um, in, in sort of an isolated nature. So I, I can see that as well in terms of just thinking about process and the way this could play out. Got it. And uh, what major, you know, issues do you think can arise 
between the different creditor groups, do you think? So I think one of the big one of the big issues um, between uh, the the various creditor groups that that could come up um, is uh, you could see um, sort of shareholder shareholder claims um, or 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 for example even legal claims uh, brought by the Europe notes which were issued very recently um, for misrepresentation amongst other things and. You know whether or not if, if those claims are brought against the parent co Steinhoff International, um, there's a question as to uh, where the where those claims would rank um, versus the existing uh, parent ho parent co guarantees that were um, granted to uh, Steinhoff Europe and uh, and Steinhoff Finance. I mean I think that there there's an I think on the one hand you could argue that. Um, the, the 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 shareholder claims or any other legal claims would be general unsecured um, and would and would perhaps rank parry with with the existing guarantees, um, but you know there could also be um, equitable subordination issues there. So I think it's tough. Um, you know it, it, those are those are certainly question marks. Um, mm -hmm. There's also issues as to whether or not. Um, Say Steinhoff, uh, in in a need for liquidity, goes out and raises debt um, at the Propco Hemisphere, um, and then uh, you know upstreams those proceeds. That wouldn't uh, that would be somewhat detrimental um, from a value leakage standpoint to the convertibles. Um, and you could see you could you could you know whether or not there could be similar transactions um, at the Europe Opcos. I think remains to be seen. Um, so I think that those are those are certainly issues that need to be worked out. Um, and then in addition, there 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 are a lot of intercompany um, intercompany loans that were made uh, from from Steinhoff Europe um, to the Africa side and from from the Africa side to the parent. Um, and it, I, I'm not even sure whether or not there's there's also intercompany claims um, between entities uh, on the European side as well. So. Where all of those claims sit um, versus uh, versus certain guarantees, I think remains to be seen. Um, and so I think that's that in, in terms of process and structure, and uh, you know what what different uh, intercreditor battles could arise. I think that um, those are areas where where people are are spending time uh, thinking about what what you know what arguments could be made on either side to sort of. You know, defend your particular box and sort of maximize value. Um, if 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 there if if that that sort of debate arises. Yeah, and you know, you had just mentioned about raising debt at the at the propco level. Um, so, is it basically accepted right now that you know hemisphere is pretty much unencumbered, and uh, where where are people coming out at in terms of valuing that entity? Well, um, so hemisphere has. Um, I think roughly 900, uh, 940 million uh, euros outstanding um, as of December 14th. So it's not entirely unencumbered, um, but uh, you know I think that I've heard and I've heard I've heard reports that there was roughly two billion of property value there um, as of fiscal year 16, um, and there's 750 million. Uh, there's a 750 million bridge facility agreement coming due March 2018, um, and so to answer your question, I think the answer really is uh, 
I'm not sure in terms of, you know, how people are thinking about um, how much sort of incremental debt you can put on Hemisphere and uh, how much incremental yeah. debt you're really allowed to under 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 the, the various um, facility agreements. Um, but, you know, with 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 that with that revolver coming due um, in 2018, um, you know, I think that it would be. It's definitely. It's probably worth spending time thinking about how, or, or thinking about a scenario where that revolver um, is refinanced and and sort of in 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 conjunction with that refinancing, um, any proceeds or or excess proceeds that go to Hemisphere are not ultimately sent um, to Steinoff Finance or, or or are not kept at Hemisphere to sort of increase value at that box, but are instead. Um, upstreamed to uh, to the Steinhoff parent co and sort of used um, for liquidity or or used in, in in other ways. So yeah, yeah, that definitely remains to be seen. Um, so I guess uh, you know you've given given us a pretty very uh, comprehensive overview. And looking forward, you mentioned this uh, this maturity that comes up in 2018. Are there any any other things that people are kind of any dates to keep in mind um, as we kind of continue looking at the situation? Yeah, so um, in terms of uh, dates, one moment, I'm pulling up my notes, but there is a, a small coupon payment um, on the Steinhoff Europe notes that's coming due. Um, it's seven and a half million euros that comes due on January 24th. Um, and, you know, normally, if you have a company that said, you know, we had 3.1 billion in March, um, there would be no issue about you know, whether or not they can make seven and a half billion coupon payment. Um, but with the language and the, the sign-off release, and with some of the steps that have been taken to, to raise liquidity, and um, you know, the, the the company still saying that it needs significant liquidity. You know, I think there 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 are questions as to whether or not the company makes that coupon payment, um, or or uh, you know, if, if the board sort of sees that there is going to be a restructuring, um, you know, withholds that, that that coupon payment to avoid mm-hmm. um, any sort of potential litigation scenario that could arise. Uh, because certainly if there is a restructuring, there's a, it, it's almost certain that there will be um, a ton of sort of litigation claims. Um, so why, you know, why, why add to that if you don't have to? Um, right. There's also... Uh, a, a court decision expected, I believe, and I just want to see my notes, but I think there is a decision expected um, on January 22nd. Um, right around the corner. Yeah, right around the corner, um, January 22nd, regarding a dispute um, uh, between Steinhoff uh, and a former KV partner. Um, Surrounding the way Steinhoff uh, is recording results uh, from the Conferama business, so the JV partners, I believe, arguing that uh, Steinhoff is consolidating the results that should not be because Steinhoff's stake is in, in, the, in the JV is not as large as um, it's as Steinhoff is representing, and so you know, depending on the outcome of that case. Um, Arguably, uh, value uh, from com- from Conferama that goes to sign off um, could be less. Uh, so that that's another sort of um, event to, to to keep in mind. So I guess you know next week um, people will be busy watching for for that decision um, and sort of watching to see whether or not there is a coupon payment made. 
then, yeah, so I think uh, aside from that, um, you know, I think that everyone is just going to be keeping their eyes eyes out to see, um, you know, advisor hires, who ends up um, getting the retention for the 2025. Um, and then, um, you know, whether or not uh, the company comes out to, to, to sort of say what uh, the liquidity need looks like. Um, and of course, um, what the restating of the financials looks like. Definitely. And, you know, actually something uh, I had meant to ask you about earlier, but uh, I just thought of it now. Um, yeah, I know that uh, Steinhoff's management, especially the CEO, left pretty abruptly. Um, have there been any views expressed on uh, or opinions on the current management team in place? Um, you know, that's a good question. Not that I know of. Um, I haven't really heard um, any any rumblings about about the current management team in place. Um, you know, on the on the fourth, um, the, the CFO uh, I guess stepped down as as a member of the management board. Um, so it seems like you know they're slowly but surely sort of getting. Um, uh, all of the former sort of C C suite uh, employees um, out out of the picture, um, but in terms of sort of the existing management, um, I haven't heard anything. I think that it's you know the way that I've always sort of uh, heard that Steinhoff has managed the the business is that um, the operating entities. So for example, a mattress firm. Um, uh, Europe, Pepcor, um, and all of the other various operating entities have, have sort of operated fairly separate um, to the to the existing small business and, and have been afforded um, a lot of independence. And so I wouldn't be surprised um, if those managers stayed in um, simply because, you know, A, I think that um, – they, did, they 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 arguably may not have had as much con as much as much contact or as much say over um, what the what the financials look like or what the financials looked like and then B um, you know just from a signaling standpoint it, it, I think that you know it, it could send a strong case um, that the assuming that assuming that it is indeed the case that um, the the accounting irregularities are isolated to one or a few entities. I think it would show pretty strong signal if, if Steinhoff sort of kept um, some of the other managers in place. So I would be surprised um, to see uh, sort of a um, clean sweep across the board, sort of firing every um, all of the CEOs and various opcos. But certainly, um, as you mentioned, we saw uh, the CEO step down and then recently the CFO as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, Kyle. Um, Thanks again for, you know, giving us a very, very comprehensive walkthrough. And you know, I'm sure there's many more details that are going to be coming over the next few days. And um, yeah, I'll turn it back to our listeners. Um, thanks for joining us on uh, our first podcast of 2018. Um, you know, coverage of sign-off is being done through our new offering, which is Reorg Emerging Markets specifically, that covers EMEA and LATAM. So, you know, if you guys have any more questions, please email, email us at questions at reorg-research.com or any suggestions for a future podcast that you guys would like covered. And, um, you know, obviously feel free to reach out to Kyle as well. He's been covering emerging markets very specifically for us. So thanks again, Kyle.
Great. This has been very fun. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye.